put your finger in Psalm 1, because that'll be the first place um, that we'll go. But before we go there, I want to introduce um, these series of messages. It's been a while since, um, you know, I've taught uh, here. Uh, we have done it through Zoom as we continue to do that over the month. I think we started doing Zoom for Anchored maybe even in April, definitely the first part of May. Uh, and we had a weekly time that we got together, and that was really good, actually. We had um, a number of you. At times, we had 150 people you know, just on the Zoom call, so that was a great time. But it's nothing like seeing your faces um, uh, several feet away from me as opposed to my large computer screen. And I want to share with you between now and the end of the year uh, this theme of thankful devotions in the Psalms, thankful devotions in the Psalms. And what's the basis of it? I've been sharing some of these with the group uh, that cannot be here, uh, and they're actually Zooming with us right now, uh, this different circumstances why they can't gather with us, uh, but we want them to still be a part of, of who we are and what we do. Amen to that? We do. And so I've been sharing these devotional thoughts with them through the Psalms. As a matter of fact, um, at the end of this month, I didn't realize it, I would have gone through all the Psalms. Some of you that see me on Facebook or Twitter, uh, I generally do a, a thought every morning from the Psalms, and I've collected all of them. As a matter of fact, I wasn't really thinking about them. They were just my personal thoughts about the Lord in the morning, and sometimes it was the afternoon, and I would send it out, and, and a number of people communicated, they were blessed by them, and then several people said, you should actually um, keep those and do something with it. Maybe you should publish them. I thought, ah, no, these are just, I'm just reflecting on God. That's all it is. He says, no, you really should. And so I approached several people about it, and I didn't even know that they were noticing them. He says, actually, you should. And so I'm right now working towards, hopefully, I'll get the rights to use the new Legacy Standard Bible, as opposed to, I'm using right now the NASB 95. So that's a way to highlight that. And then two people that are maybe interested in publishing it. So um, it went just from my thoughts in the morning often or in the afternoon um, to something like that. And I want to share some of those with you um, for the next uh, several weeks. And it's only one verse or two verses at a time. And what we're going to do is, um, even this morning, there's going to be seven Psalms that we'll look at. That's a lot. Some of that is sort of painful because uh, there are those moments I want to stop for a moment and say, you know what that word means? Just like Rob and Georgie had this discussion over here about word meanings. Um, I want to do that and stop and talk about it and what's say, said and other cross-references and things like that. Uh, but it's just been very personal for me and I want it to be personal for you. Well, at the same time, it does teach us good theology. It really does. So when we think about the Psalms, there's a purpose. And that purpose is expressed through praise. We see hallelujah psalms where the Lord is praised for his greatness and who he is. We see in the psalms at times, although they are poetic, we do see the wisdom nature at times of the psalms. Insight is given about life. And at times the psalms are instructional. The psalmist is teaching something about life and about God and how we should respond. And at times these Psalms are historical. They're historical accounts. Um, a wonderful example would be Psalms like 105 to 107 as we see 
God at work through his people and showing us this history of God initiating this covenant with them and all their treacherous rebellion against the Lord. But yet God is still one who is going to be faithful to his covenant because he must be faithful to his covenant because God must be faithful to himself. Do we agree with that? And isn't that a joy? That should be a sense of rest that we know that God will be faithful to us, not because of us. At times it is despite us, but God will be faithful to us because he must be faithful to himself. It is his name. And so we can rest in that. And we see that even in the Psalms. And of course we see in the Psalms, thanksgiving, do we not? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. How many times do we see that? For he is what? Is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And Psalm 107 communicates that. And then it takes you through this great history of the people of God and how he was faithful to them. So we see this in the Psalms. But one other thing about the Psalms is this, they're comprehensive circumstances and emotions in the Psalms. Say, for instance, you see the sense of warfare or the psalmist, often David is crying out that God would um, show him favor as he fights his battles. And sometimes those battles were literal, uh, physical battles, but often they were spiritual battles. You see personal struggle in the Psalms. There's confession of sin. There's this sense of exuberant joy that's expressed at times in these Psalms, which really cause us to say, oh Lord, that is what I want in life. We see intimate worship as a psalmist at times is crying out and say, God, um, I want to worship you. God, I look into the heavens and see you. God, I see your faithfulness. And that faithfulness I'm going to communicate to others, I worship you, living God. But what else do we see in this psalm in these comprehensive circumstances and emotions? We also see doubt. The psalmist is wondering, Lord, how long? I've cried out to you and you've turned your ear away from me. Incline your heart to me. Incline your ear to me. God, do you allow the wicked to continue? Where are you, God? There's doubt. Can we ever identify with that? And then there's anxiety that the psalmist at times even experiences. What is going to happen? What does the future hold for me? And at times even the psalmist has hopelessness. And that's in part the reason that we, we see Psalm 42 and 43, where there's a refrain that is, really joins the two Psalms together. Um, hope in God, for you shall yet again praise him. Again, I say hope in God. And so the psalmist has to do what? He has to counsel himself and say, yes, why are you downcast, O my soul? And this is what he says, hope again in God. And we would do well to follow that example from the psalmist and at times we must do that. We must say to our own souls, soul, hope in God. There may be uncertainty, hope in God. You're facing difficulty, but hope in God. And at times the psalmist has real fear. He communicates that, that I'm fearful. But yet what we see in him, he will often come to this point of resolve. And he says, yes, I fear, however, and those howevers are throughout the Psalms. I was just reading, interesting enough, let me show you an example of a transition. Turn with me, I know I said Psalm 1, but turn with me to Psalm, go to Psalm 88. And I want you to see something in Psalm 88. The psalmist cries out. Um, 
throughout, I'm going to highlight a couple of things. And he says, verse one, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I've cried out by day and in night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. And notice verse three. I love this. My soul has had enough troubles and my life has drawn near to Sheol. That is real talk, isn't it? That's real language for real people. And I, and I just love what he says, God, I've had enough troubles. They're mounting on me. My soul is close to even Sheol. And he goes on to say, God, he, now he is discussing this with the Lord, if you will. And in one sense, he's putting forth what he believes to be a rational argument to say, God, if you don't come to my rescue, then I will be killed. And then he says, well, will you perform verse 10? Notice, will you perform wonders for the dead? No, you do them for the living. Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? No, they will not. Will your love and kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? So what he's saying here is, God, save me so that I can continue to praise you and recognize you and laud you. Then notice how this psalm ends, though. Notice verse 18. He says, verse 17, we'll start there. There, they have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me all together. You have removed lover and friend from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. Wow. That's not an American ending to a movie, is it? No, it isn't. That is not a Disney World ending. And you say, the psalm ends here. You've removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. But notice then in Psalm 89. So also a masculine of Ethan, the Ezraite, that is a, an instruction, a teaching, which is what um, Psalm 88 was. It was a, a teaching of Haman, the Ezraite. And notice where it picks up in verse 1. So we go from God, <laughs> it seems like you've abandoned me. Will there be people who can praise you in death? I won't be able to do that. Then he says, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I will make known your loving kindness with my mouth. For I've said loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. I've made a covenant with my chosen I've sworn to David, my servant. So he transitions from, it has this ending. You say, wow, is that a way to end the psalm? Aren't they supposed to all end with this sense of hope and joy? Then he picks up in the next psalm, says, but I will sing. See, the psalms teach us that as well. And this word that you see next is identification. So since it's so comprehensive in the circumstances and emotions, People identify with the Psalms, do they not? Uh, even when translations come out, even the, the, the LSB that's coming out, it's going to be the New Testament, Proverbs, and Psalms. You will find that you can go to the bookstore, New Testament, Proverbs, and Psalms. Generally, you will not find New Testament, Proverbs, and Nahum. It doesn't exist. It's not New Testament, Proverbs, and some other book. The Psalms, why? Because in one sense, it's saying it's just, this is encompassing this great treasury of thought for you in the Psalms. Here's this wisdom that you have for life. And here's the New Testament that is teaching you the doctrine of your new faith. And so in the Psalms, 
There is great theology there as well. Let me give you some examples of it. Uh, theology proper is in the Psalms. That is, we have a high view of God, who is God. We see throughout the Psalms that God is a faithful God. God is a righteous God. God is a sovereign God. And the list goes on And what we see throughout the Psalms. We see teachings about anthropology. That is, who is man and what is man like? And even the psalmist raised that question, did he not? In Psalm 8, what did he ask? What is man that you would even take thought of him and that you would even consider him? So he looks at man and who he is. And there's this sense of harmardiology, that is, um, the study of sin and our understanding of sin. We surely see that because throughout the Psalms, we see that the psalmist is saying, why does the wicked have great rests? Why are their bodies fat? Why are they not strained like other people? You remember Asap, as he wrote his psalm, he looked out and he saw the wicked prospering. And he said to himself, why have I kept my righteousness? I've done this in vain. But then Asap says, what? Then I came to my senses and I realized their destiny. And what is their destiny? It is an eternal separation from God. And my destiny is far different. It is just the opposite. I will live in in an abiding relationship with him forever. And of course, there's Christology because we have Psalms that are what? Messianic Psalms. And we'll even look briefly at one this morning. Here is the coming Messiah. This is what he will do. This is how he will provide. So we see that in the Psalms. Of course, there's bibliology. All we need to do is think about what psalm can you think of when you think about bibliology, our understanding of the Bible? Someone tell me. I would think so. 119, and there's another 19 that you would think of, simply Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, but at the same time, it tells us about God's word, how it's pure and it's right and it's righteous and it's good. It's sustaining God's word. Is clearly communicated. Then there's pneumatology, the life of the spirit. We see little of it, but at times we do see these glimmers of how does God's spirit work in the hearts of people, particularly when at times we see they have rejected his spirit. And remember David, classic Psalm, is it not? Psalm 51. What does David say in Psalm 51 about the spirit? He says what? Do not take your what? Your spirit from me. He says, And so we investigate and ask questions about it. And even issues of eschatology, you think eschatology in the Psalms, surely. Uh, How is that? Because then the moment we have introduced a messianic Psalm, we're also saying what? This Messiah will come and make all things right. There is a future for Israel. There is a future for God's people. God will slay the wicked. God will exalt the righteous. We see that. And these Psalms, and ultimately it is this, it's worship. At the end of it, we should worship the Lord. He has given us these great Psalms, and there's a point of identification with us to say, I'm there. I've been there. That is my experience. And we can also say, how great is God? Why am I so concerned? Why am I worrying? Trust in the Lord. So let's consider um, seven thankful devotions that we can find in the Psalms. Go back to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. The first is this. Be thankful that God clearly offers the plan for a blessed life. Be thankful for that. 
Um, Psalm 1. And what does it tell us? Familiar text. How blessed is a man who does what? Nor stand where? Nor sit where? But his delight is in? And what does he do? Day and night. And this should be our life, should it not? See, there is a clearer plan for a blessed life. It's amazing how people live their lives and they're looking for a plan for a happy life, for a blessed life. And part of the reason they can never find it is that their definition is incorrect. How, how does one define blessed? What does it mean to be satisfied? What does it mean to be content? And if one's definition is incorrect, that means that you will find yourself forever striving after something that you can never attain. Clearly, God says, here is the avenue, the path to a blessed life. Some of you, uh, at times I've put up pictures, and I even did a video this morning. My, my tradition, uh, if you will call it tradition, habit, whatever you want to call it, um, is this particular one I'm going to teach uh, up early, thinking about things, and I go for a run. And I did that. I got up. It was still a bit dark, to, and it was beautiful to see as I looked to the west, and, and seeing the sun sort of coming over the hills there in Canyon Country. And I was out for a run, and I wanted to get um, uh, a picture for, I, I meant to the east. The west is going to be a setting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking last night, actually, I, I, I did a, uh, a time-lapse video of uh, the sun setting in the west. I think that was on my mind. Um, so... Um, there it was, I'm looking to the east, sun is coming over the hills, I'm going for a run, and um, I'm taking on these new pathways. And there's a, pretty much a habit I have, where I go, and some of you have been to our home when we've had the Sundays at the Hargroves, and you know, behind us is that sort of canyon that's there, and I often go for a run back, and it takes me away from everything, and I have a path that I'm generally on all the time. And this time I thought, let me explore a little bit more. And I went exploring a little bit more in some other paths that I'd never been on, and I thought, let me get back to what I'm used to here. And only because there were some areas where I felt I was... Uh, my knee was going down because it wasn't, it hadn't been graded out, if you will. It was pretty raw. And I thought I already have one bad knee. Let me get back on the right path here again, <laughs> which I literally do. Old football injury, ACL, MCL tear. So if you know what that means, you could, it's painful. Uh, even these many years later, I had to get back on a path. The path is pretty clear because people have gone over it over and over and over and over again. And I've run it for, that we've been there five years, over and over and over again. And it's a proven path. And what's interesting about that path, on the left and literally on the right, um, there are places I probably wouldn't venture. A certain time of the year, I've seen rattlesnakes when I've been out there. And I've said, hmm, let's not explore too much. <laughs> Right? And we're on a path of life, and to our left and to our right are treacherous things, are they not? And God is saying, you want a path for a blessed life? Let me tell you. Where is it? Why are you here? I mean, right now, this moment, why are you here? 
Hopefully you can discover more of this path. Why do you attend Grace Community Church? So you can discover more of this path. Why have you chosen you commit your life to studying this so you can understand more of this path? And that's why some of your testimony is, and this is not to compare ourselves to anyone necessarily, in some way it is, uh, unfortunately it is, and I'll I'll help you understand that statement where you were somewhere else and you thought, I just wasn't learning the path. I wasn't learning God's word the way that I hoped and I should and absolutely need to. So you found yourself here. And when I say unfortunate, it is unfortunate. I wish that it weren't that case. Some of you know the ministry that I have, one of the ministries I have at the church is with Grace Advance, where we go and we help new churches start, or churches revitalize. And I have said, I wish that that ministry, in one sense, uh, perhaps didn't even exist because there's really no need. I, I've traveled around the country and people have said, I started coming here to this church, or one of the men that I'm visiting, I said, because I looked for years to find, I said, years? Yes, years. And recently, I was on a trip that was in South Carolina. I said, I passed by at least 15 churches to this church. Why wouldn't you go there? And they began to give an account. And I thought, I understand. That saddens me. That should sadden you. Yeah, that should sadden you. Because there's no sense. We don't want to hoard people to Grace Community Church. That is not our intention. That's not the intention of the pastor of this church or the elders of this church. We would just assume people could be at places where they could be hearing the word of God and they could be taught this path and ministers would have enough courage and show enough diligence and have enough heart for the Lord to say, friends, this is the path. Don't stray. And as the proverb says, don't let your eyes look to the left or to the right. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Do you agree with me? See, but the path is clear. You should be thankful that, Lord, thank you that you've given me a clear path. That I don't have to, like some religion, discover these truths and go on some spiritual adventure to find myself or to find this deity. No, it is clearly here. If you want to be a blessed man, a blessed woman, avoid the world and meditate on the word of God. See, it's a choice of delights. This is what we need to understand. And and the choice is this. It's a choice of delights because either it's the world and it's temporary pleasures and it's false promises or it's what? The eternal principles of God's word and his covenant faithfulness. You have to make a choice. Life has always been a choice, has it not? It is that. It is a choice. Will I choose this path or the other? As I was on that run this morning, do I keep running on this path and I don't know it well, and there's not much light and a possible injury, or do I get back on the path that I know so well? You have to make a choice. But sometimes, think with me for a moment, uh, it seems to be so easy, doesn't it? At least the way I expressed it, surely it's a choice, and surely I'm going to choose something that's eternal over something that's temporary. Surely I will choose faithfulness covenant over temporary values. It's an obvious choice, but it isn't. So why isn't it always so obvious? And it's the word that my aunt told me many years ago. She said that, you know, just, there's some people, you know, they, in their faith, uh, they don't know some of the words and language that we know. 
And I could rest assured she is with the Lord now. She knows much more than I know at this point. She sure does. Uh, she could, she's not concerned with me now, nor is anyone else who is in heaven concerned with any of us because they're spending their time praising the living God, are they not? I often hear people like that. So where's your, when I played football, like, is your mom looking down at you watching football? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Plus, I just missed the tackle anyway. Why would she look down on this? You're kidding me. She is not looking. Well, you know, I knew your mom. She was a godly, da-da-da-da-da. No, she's looking. No, she's not. She's not looking at me. She is praising the living God. Yeah. Do you agree with that? And my aunt, you know, simple faith, but just love it. Her, my mom's younger sister, once she said to me, she said, no, Carl, sin, sin. What is it? She said, that's why eyes in the middle, she said. Eyes in the middle of sin. Because when we put ourselves in the middle instead of God in the middle, this is when we sin. Now, she said that to me when I was like 17. And it's been a few years later now. Just a few Sin, what does it do? It makes fools of all of us. It causes us to say, let's stay on this path. I know it's dangerous, but it seems to be adventurous. Let's stay on this path. I, I know other people have walked this path, and then their testimony has been destruction, but it won't happen to me, so I'll follow this path, and I'll make my way through it differently than they have. Utter, utter foolishness, is it not? The best thing to do is to get back on the path. And this is in part why Paul, even in 1 Corinthians 10, says to the church at Corinth, learn from their example. That's the path they chose. Don't follow that path. This is what he says here. Meditate on it day and night. I first thought. I may not get through all seven. <laughs> Number two, you've heard that sort of thing around here before, haven't you? Oh, my goodness. It's like, oh, my word. Be thankful that you've escaped the son's wrath. And now, see, you can live in harmony with his design for your life and the nations. That's a, a bit more than I'm used to saying for a point, but I want you to get it. Psalm 2. Notice what it says, verse 12. First, in verse 1, I'll just read it. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed or against his Christ. Remember I said Christology, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their courts from us. Notice verse 12. It says here, do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. What a great truth. So the Psalm begins with this messianic Psalm that says here is God looking down from heavens and he's looking at the nations and they're in uproar. In one sense, they're raising their fists before the living God and they would overthrow the son in his reign. And God says, no, you will not. As a matter of fact, it says that the son does what? He laughs at them. Notice verse four. He who sits in the heavens does what? The Lord scoffs at them. And notice that word scoffs at them. We saw it already in Psalm one because 
the people who are blessed people, they do what? They don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Those who um, deride our faith or, or would deride faith, who laugh at our faith. You don't sit in their presence. You don't learn from them is what's being said. So now it's reverse. God is saying, I will scoff at you. I will laugh at you. I will deride you because you would think that you would overthrow heaven. No. So do homage to the son that is bow to him, recognize him for who he is. That his anger would be taken away. It would be taken away. <laughs> so any attempts for men to overthrow the rightful place of Christ is just absolutely vain. It's going to end up in destruction and eternal misery. Yet it can be avoided, according to verse 12, if there is simple humility. But that is difficult for man to come by. Man can only come by this simple humility by the grace of God. And that's why all of you should be thankful to say, because we believe that, I only humbled myself by the grace of God. Do you believe that? Do you, uh, none of you should ever believe I came to grips with it on my own accord. No, it was only by God's grace that your eyes were open. Because we were all dead, Ephesians 2, were we not? And our transgressions and sins. But God, I love that. And you've heard me say that before. <laughs> but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, did what? Made us alive. Be thankful that now there's a design for your life. And that design is to be that blessed person, to live a life that is blessed, as opposed to being under the wrath of God. The nations were to be a people who would cry out to the living God and say, Yahweh is the Lord. But the nations went astray. And Israel was to call back those nations and say, our God is the Lord. But what happened to Israel? They went astray. They were not on the path. They were pulled away. And they became like the nations. What do you see happening in the church today? Is the church distinguishing itself the way that it should be? Is it saying that we are peculiar people? We are a holy nation. We are righteous individuals. It is not doing that. The church consistently is saying what? I'll join your path. Let me walk with you for a while. Maybe if I learn some of your ways, you'll hear my message more. Well, that's utterly ridiculous because the message itself speaks against the path that you're traveling on. Be thankful that God's wrath was taken away from you. But God's mercy, in one sense, holds back that wrath at bay. But one day, it is going to be fully expressed on all of those who reject him. Here's the third reason to be thankful. Look at Psalm 3. Psalm 3, verse 5. Let me just read it. It's short. Oh, Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves 
against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belong to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people, Selah. But verse 5, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. We should be thankful that we have the promise of comfort and rest. This is what the psalmist is saying. All these mounting circumstances are around me, but yet I know that God is in fact on my side. The psalm is written when David was running from his son Absalom. And think about it, in part, the reason that he's running from Absalom has to do with his own sin. So David has sinned, and now there's going to be turmoil in his house. And because of that, now he is on the run. And because of that, now he writes this psalm. And that's a beautiful consideration. Think with me for a moment. You say, what do you mean by that? So David writes a psalm that in part, uh, we can say, um, has its seed in his own sin because he sins and others turmoil in his house. Now, David's son, Absalom, is wanting to overthrow David. And because of that, he writes a psalm. And now we can read a psalm and be blessed by it. This is an amazing thing. How God uses even our shortcomings to be a blessing to others. And this is what, again, we see in principle expressed here. For God works everything together for, for good. And you should rest in that reality. I mean, everything that happens in your life, it is for a reason. Here's the reality here, friends. Despite these mounting difficulties, David could rest. And um, his pillow, if you will, is not made out of cloth. And it's a pillow of covenant faithfulness. We all lay down at night and we put our head to rest and you wonder what will happen in the morning. We are uncertain of that. But one thing about it, David says, I have this comfort. Even when I lay down to rest, you will awake me again. By your grace, you will be there for me, is what he communicates. Look at Psalm 4. Here's another reason to be thankful. Psalm 4, verse 4. He says in verse 4, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. Be thankful that stillness before God is fighting against your flesh and the world. You say, what does that mean? Because when we, I, I use that word in particular because it is expressed here. He says, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Because we think stillness, we think passivity, do we not? We think inactive. I'm not moving forward. But stillness is actually very engaging. It is fighting against your flesh and the world. How can those true be true? How can you tell me that those true are true? Because we should never fight any spiritual battle without pausing and going before the Lord. Some of the greatest battles that you will fight spiritually are going to be those battles where you're still before the living God. And this is what David is communicating here. Tremble, that is fear, but don't sin. And, and what he's uh, communicating here is that one may have some sense of anxiety, but don't allow that to overwhelm you. 
And, and what do I do with trembling or what do I do with fear? Then it must be replaced with meditation. And now what do you think David would meditate on? What do we say in Psalm 1? God's word. It shall be his meditation all the days of his life. There have been many times in my own life when I have on my bed just sat and I've meditated on the Lord. How can you work this out? I have no resources. This is beyond me. And see, stillness is really fighting against your flesh and the world. Because in those moments, now, I don't mean stillness in some Eastern mysticism sense where their stillness is emptying the mind. I mean, in the sense of a biblical sense, we're still before God and then we meditate. So we put into the mind God's truths and those God and God's truths have an effect in our life, which we pray then will have an effect on our actions and our attitude and our decisions that we make in the world. It is a fight. Stillness is fighting. But the question is, uh, stillness before whom? It's stillness before God. It is. And if we are still before God, then God can direct us. There are times when we think that somehow there's a situation that we must work out. We must intervene. We must interject our thoughts. And the Lord says, no. And at times, even the more we try, the less progress that we make. Anyone ever been there before? Wait a minute, I'm trying so hard, but I'm getting nowhere. And we try and we try and we get nowhere. And then we go and rest in the, in the living God and we're still before God. And all of a sudden, oh, it worked out. That's an amazing formula. Still before God. Why do I not try that more often? Right? And this is what the psalm is communicating here. Focus your thoughts on the living God. Realize that you don't have the answers. Before you enact some life strategy or some decision, meditate on the Lord. Is this a right decision? Is this a good decision? Is this a God-honoring decision? And right now I'm faced with some difficulty, and just like the psalmist has said elsewhere, on this path, the path seems to be shrinking more and more. There's little room for me to move. Focus on me. If you focus on me, then you won't look to the left or to the right. What did Peter do? Come, he bid him come, and he walked on the water. And what happens? You know the story. When did he begin to sink? When he did what? That's right. He looked at the waves. He says, I'm going to perish. Lord, save. And aren't you thankful that in those moments when we take our eyes off the path and we cry out, Lord, saves, and what does he do? He saves. Okay, child, back to school. <laughs> and he teaches us again. Is this correct? Is it a quarter till? My watch stopped. I was thinking, no, I'm quite serious. No, no, just so you can verify. What does that say? We need to get him a new watch, you guys. <laughs> wow. Take one of those old-fashioned collections, right? <laughs> Pass the hat. The preacher needs a watch. And they're definitely going to get him a watch, right? Because... <laughs> 
if we don't, if he doesn't have a, have a watch, but we're going to be in here a long time. <laughs> wow. Okay. Time to get a battery. I'm glad I looked. Be thankful. Amen. Amen. You know, we've had people that um, for our retreat that's coming up and they've written I, I, like a scholarship, COVID, my job. I'm working part-time. I'm hardly working at all. And of course, sure, we want you there. If, you're still, if you still cannot make it because of that reason, don't let that be the reason not to come. We want you to be there. And we're thankful because we have resources to say, please come, enjoy it. Circumstances, I said in the Psalms, there are all sorts of circumstances that we face. But circumstances can never dictate the thankfulness of your heart. Why? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is. Does that ever change? It never changes. Your circumstances may, but that would never change. Therefore, you always have a reason to be thankful. Father, we are thankful. We pray for the moments ahead, even as we consider these things. Thank you for the privilege we had to reflect on these truths. And as we move through them in the weeks ahead, that we would learn to be a more thankful people. In Christ's name, amen.